that I think our human tendency is to get excited. Oh, hey, wow, look at this person. They're talented or they're wealthy. That was what the Corinthian church was doing. They, they were valuing the wealthy. They were valuing the talented over those who were not. Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church. Sermon Extra, great to have you with us once again this week. I'm here with Pastor Nate Cady. He's the pastor of Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont, Colorado. And if you're joining us today, we are in our series, Grace and Truth. We're looking at the first letter of the, to the Corinthians that Paul wrote to them. And uh, if you missed our sermon on Sunday, whitefieldschurch.com, you can get over there and download it. We were looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses uh, 12 through 31, the last section. And we've been looking at primarily at the body of Christ. Paul has been, uh, been looking at that. And this, uh, and this uh, the title of our message this week was Unity and Diversity in the Body of Christ. And just a great thing of understanding. This metaphor that Paul uses is a great way to just see where do we, where do we fit in, in, in the picture that God has for us in, in this time. And so if you missed it, whitefieldschurch.com, you can download it there. Any of your favorite streaming platforms, YouTube, Facebook, you know, uh, uh, podcast, uh, whatever one you enjoy, Apple Music or Google or whatever it might be. Subscribe, like, do whatever you can just to help us uh, promote this content and so the people are googling these things they're googling these questions we can provide them with christ-centered and god-centered content so do that for us and so you know we, we've come to just want to kind of think of a couple things today just you know coming on from sunday sermon and maybe just kind of dive a little bit more into kind of paul's analogy here of what he's talking about in the body and he gets into a few interesting things when you know beginning in verse 15 you get this kind of idea where people have seem to have false expectations or they have they're not sure of where their place is and like well and they're seeing things maybe being told things like well i'm not an eye so i can't be important or i'm not a foot so i can't be part of the body of christ i'm not an heir i'm not these kind of things and and paul goes on to say that you know this is this is uh, the nonsense you can't say well i just have no need of this person because they're not this or that and you know being in ministry for a while now you you've probably seen this yourself and uh and and then paul gets into this stuff about you know those parts of the body that are unpresentable or they're weaker we perceive them to be weaker that they are actually indispensable so he's kind of breaking down a lot of you know kind of false false dichotomies that we've maybe set up within the church and that you know 2,000 years on that we are actually probably still dealing with today and so we just want to kind of look at that some of that what's what was Paul getting at here mm -hmm. yeah so obviously there were some people in the church who were making other people feel as if they were not valuable and not important so in verses 15, starting verse 15, I think, uh, to verse 19 or verse mm -hmm, 20, yeah. Paul talks to those people who are feeling as if they are not important, as if they don't have a role in the body, and then saying, well, maybe I just don't belong here. Uh, I've certainly talked to many people over the years who've expressed that sentiment. Oh, you know, I just don't, I'm not talented, I'm not gifted. Obviously, you know, this place values certain things, and I don't have those things, therefore, I guess I just don't belong. And, and then who knows what they'll do. Maybe they'll um, just not contribute, or maybe they'll actually leave. And Paul says, no, that's, that would be a tragedy. We don't want that. Um, and then he speaks to those who made 
others feel as if they were less valuable. And he says, what are you doing? Like, this is not okay. He says, in the body of Christ, we should be acting just the opposite of that. Those members who appear weaker to you are indispensable. What an, what an important word to say. Um, here's how I put some flesh on this is just to say that I think our human tendency is to get excited. Oh, hey, wow, look at this person. They're talented or they're wealthy. That was what the Corinthian church was doing. Mm -hmm. they, they were valuing the wealthy. They were valuing the talented over those who were not. And, you know, one thing that just comes to my mind is what about the people in our congregation, let's say, who are handicapped, disabled in some way? I think that understanding the image of God, that we as human beings are all created in the image of God, understanding that we are equal in Christ is super important here. And understanding what it says about the body, that just because they don't have your function, they have a function. And here's the fact that we need those members of the church who are considered weaker in the eyes of the world um, because of what they do to us as a community. And they need us as a community to come around them and support them. Those who are, let's say, let's say in this case, those who have disabilities, perhaps developmental disabilities, perhaps um, later onset disabilities. They need the church, but you know what? We also need them. It's not just that we, um, you know, help them out in a, in a way that's patronizing, right? That they're just recipients of our charity and our attention. Absolutely not. They are contributing members and we need them because their presence in the body and showing them honor helps shape us into people who think and act like Jesus. So we need those people. We need to value and honor those people. This needs to be a place where um, they have a, an oasis from the world that treats them as if they're not valuable. They come into this place and we say, you have inherent dignity and value and you have a place in this church and you are a contributor, not just a recipient. Yeah, no, that's very important. And we have a common friend and uh, he told a similar story about moving. Maybe you can, you know more details when he moved to a city in, in Hungary about his expectations young guy young pastor ready to pastor a church and the kind of congregation that he came in contact with yeah so our friend his name is phil metzger um some people might know him and phil if you're watching <laughs> hi um i know that he watches some of our stuff because yeah. he's used some of our titles for stuff that he did um so anyway so phil i remember hearing phil one time talk about how he moved to kapuschwer hungary he moved there from orange county california you know, kind of the, the capital of, um, of shallow culture, I guess, <laughs> yeah. right? Like uh, wealthy and like, um, I don't know. Oh, there's a base. I think there was a, there was a base there as well. Yeah. There was an American base at the time, Air oh, Force in Base. Oh, yeah. yeah, so he had this idea. He's going to move to Kapuschwer, you know, the west, southwest of Hungary. And his thought, he shared later, was he wanted to start a church and he, he expected that, you know, him and his wife were in, his, in their 20s, just starting their family, that they would have a church full of people like them who were also in their 20s and fun and cool and be all kinds of like uh, peers to hang out with. And it would be great. And he said, and what ended up happening is they ended up with a church full of people who were developmentally disabled, uh, full of people who were elderly and um, and he said that it was a lesson for him to learn to honor these people and value them and that they had a role to play in the body of Christ and not only did they need him but he needed them and that's really important you know it reminds me of a story from first Samuel chapter 21 
where David um, is on the run and he comes to this place, this cave of Adullam, and it says that the that God brought him these people. And it says there 400 of these people came to him, uh, people who were in debt, people who were um, bitter of soul, right? Mm -hmm. Like they were, um, and it gives a few other descriptors, but the point is that these people were, were kind of like losers <clears throat> in the eyes of the world. They were the kind of people, you know, we always say things like, don't surround yourself with toxic people. David was literally surrounded with toxic people who were unsuccessful at life. They were depressed and discouraged and bitter in their soul. And it says that David took them and it says he became captain over them. And we see that what God was doing by bringing these people into David's life, you know, is that he was teaching David to be a man after his own heart. That in that cave, there was no pomp, there was no prestige. But here was a chance for him to lead. And these weren't the people that perhaps he had hoped he would be surrounded with, right? Like other people who loved the Lord and would encourage him. Now, these were people who were bitter of soul and discouraged and needed him to teach them. And in the process, he did. And those men came to be later known as David's mighty men it says that they were filled with the spirit of God and they were swift as gazelles upon the mountains and mm -hmm. things like that. Like that's not how they started, but he took them. And before he could be king over Israel, he had to learn to be king of the losers um, and to take those people and help them become people of God. And I just think what a, what a perfect picture of the church, right? That we come as we are and, um, and we're transformed into people of God so I, I just think it's such an important lesson for us. Look, um, those who are considered less honorable in the eyes of the world, in the church, we bestow greater honor upon them. And we realize that they're not just recipients of our charity. They are valuable contributing members of the body. Yeah, and that's why this, uh, you know, this book is that we're studying is so valuable because, you know, 2,000 years on, you know, it's, we're still struggling with the same thing. We still, yeah. on Sunday mornings, you know, even in leadership, we, we have the same tendencies. There's, you know, it always goes through your mind, well, what if so-and-so got saved or what if that person got saved? Or, you know, those are things that everybody struggles with. We, we're always, you know, we, we like talented people. We like people that have influence and things like that because many times they can make things happen uh, on, on that kind of worldly level. And then, but that kind of negates God's power that to do things within the church and and it can make us rely on on man and so we really have to you know just seek the lord in these things and ask forgiveness and value the people that god brings you know they say plow the field that you're you know bloom where you're planted or plow the field that you're in or those that folks that come here serving them with all that you have and uh, that's kind of our desire here at the church and i'm sure failed at it at some points and been successful but you know it's our desire to what paul is is to value every part of the body of christ and know that you know that they're valuable and they have a, as i like you know what you said there about the fact that there are those that we need them and then they need us and that's isn't that what the body is all about you know and just that that i would you know that would be great every sunday morning if people had that feeling like they need me to be here to be a part of this body this morning to serve and, and and we say that we need you and you need us and that's that's a great thought to think about and it just you know as in closing we just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about you know, we've been talking about you know miracles and speaking in tongues and all these kind of things and of course you know the corinthians just got all that stuff like upside down what was you know they were out 
speaking in tongues nonstop and, you know, no interpretation and a lot of chaos. And Paul's, of course, going to talk a lot more about that, kind of setting things in order as we go on through the chapters. But, you know, there's just a question arises, you know, when people hear that. It's like, well, are those gifts, like, really for today? Doesn't that kind of all cease with with the, the apostles back in 2,000 years ago. Here's what's so interesting. So there, there's two views on this. If we were to put them in categories, we would say there's one view called the cessationist view, and there's another view called the continuationist view. Cessation comes from ceasing, means that the gifts have ceased, and continuation means that they have continued. Um, here's what's really interesting about it. Nobody believes that all the gifts have ceased, right? So like, let's say you talk to a cessationist. Well, they believe that the gift of teaching still exists. The gift of leading still exists, administration, and of course, generosity and giving, right? These all still exist and they're still needed in the church. But what they would say is, oh, but these other gifts, and sometimes they're called the sign gifts is what they're referred to. And, um, and sometimes they're referred to as speaking or leading gifts that they are no longer in operation. So these would include specifically, they would say apostleship, miracles, healing, speaking in tongues and prophecy. And again, these are called the sign gifts or miraculous gifts. Um, here's what's really interesting about this that in the first two to 300 years after Jesus lived, if you look at the writings of the early church, and we could, we could give a list of them, but uh, the writers of the early church, they talked about prophecy, miracles, healings taking place in the 100s, 200s, 300s AD. It was only in the 400s AD um, and specifically uh, with a man named John Christostom, who's known as John of the Cross. He was a Syrian uh, Christian preacher. That he writes that certain gifts are no longer in operation since the time of the apostles. But understand, that's 400 years after. Furthermore, this is John Christostom's words. And we have the writings of other church fathers who say, no, no, no. The gifts are, have been in operation since that time, including the miraculous gifts, and they, they write about them. And then actually after John Chrysostom, now remember he's in Syria, that's outside the realm of Rome's influence. So in the 500s, particularly when the church in Rome kind of comes into its own, if you will, during the time of Gregory the Great, um, the church in Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, is continuationist in their view of the Holy Spirit, which means that they believe that all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today, that they never stopped. And um, the reason they believe that is because there's nothing in Scripture that would lead us to believe that they are, only for the apostolic period. Uh, there's one verse, <clears throat> which we'll get to in chapter 13, which says that when the perfect comes, there will be no more prophecy. There will be no more um, other things as well. But it says that love will remain. Um, and includes in their teaching. Teaching will cease. Okay, well, teaching and faith have not ceased. The only time we, that teaching and faith will cease is when there's nothing to be taught about and there will be no more need for faith, which will be when we're in heaven. You don't need faith if Jesus is right there. You don't need teaching about Jesus when he's right there, right? So um, clearly that verse is not talking about the coming of the canon of Scripture. It is talking about the coming of Jesus. And actually what's good to see is that even 
cessationists who are intellectually like they're they're um, honest in my opinion they most of them admit that that verse is not a proof text for cessationism and what's interesting is that the reason for uh, most people believing in cessationism is um, actually not the Bible it is their own experience where they said you know, the Bible talks about speaking in tongues, but I've never seen it done in a way that seems legit. Or like the Bible talks about gifts of healing, but I've never seen anybody healed in a miraculous way. And therefore they conclude, therefore it must not exist anymore. But do you understand that's not a good way to do theology? Like a good way to do theology is not to say, just because I don't see something, I don't believe it. Like that's literally even in the Bible, right? Like we walk by faith, not by sight. And we believe that all of scripture is inspired by God. So scripture is our primary source of theology. And then we interpret our experiences through scripture. Now that, that's really super important. And so here's the other reason they would say, well, look, John Chrysostom didn't believe in the gifts of the spirit uh, being active in his day, at least the sign gifts. Okay, but other people, other prominent church fathers and many more, like the great majority of the church fathers did believe in it and talked about it happening in their day. So, um, you know, you can't just pick and choose which parts of history or which uh, sources of tradition you choose from. You, you have to take the whole thing. Um, otherwise, you're not being, again, intellectually honest, in my opinion. And again, it's more of a matter of how we do theology. Is scripture our primary source or are we basing what we believe on our experience? Um, so that being said, it does mention a few gifts that are worth asking a few questions. Are there modern day apostles? Is there such a thing as prophecy in our modern day? Um, is there an office of prophet in our modern day? Are there still gifts of healing? Things like that. Um, we were talking before we started recording just about what is a modern day apostle? And most people who believe in continuationism, meaning the gifts are for today, um, they would say that there are not modern apostles in the same sense or in the same way that they, the early apostles, 12 plus one or two, right? Uh, there's some debate over whether Matthias was really an apostle. There's some debate over whether Paul should be included in the 12 and whatever. And there's debate over were other people listed as apostles? Paul talks about Barnabas in chapter nine of first Corinthians as an apostle. Um, he says, are we not apostles? We, Speaking of himself and Barnabas, Barnabas isn't one of the 12. Um, so that being said, um, yeah, I, I think that I would put it this way. I would agree with those who say, I think that there's a gift of apostleship, um, but I don't think that there is an, a, you're not an apostle in the same sense that the early first century apostles were. So what is the gift of apostleship? I would put it this way. It is, I mean, apostle means one who is sent. So in one sense, a lot of people would say modern day missionaries who are sent to pioneer work, that is uh, the same spirit of what was an apostle. But furthermore, I would go on to say that to me, it also seems that the apostles in the New Testament period were essentially not local church leaders as much as they were leaders of leaders. They were leaders of a movement who were, again, leaders of leaders. So there are some people who have that role in the church where they are leaders of leaders, right? Um, even in our own Calvary Chapel movement, there are certain people, right, who are, whether regionally or even internationally, um, they have been given a, a role of leadership and other people look to them. I think it's best when that happens organically. I remember a time in Hungary where 
you know, some groups of churches are really into this concept of modern day apostles. And it's almost, in my opinion, they're kind of trying to like force, uh, force something to happen. So there was this guy, I think you knew about this guy too, um, is a charismatic thing. And they had this guy from Romania who was called an apostle. And so they rented out in the city I lived in. Um, they rented out this like, um, hall, big hall. And they had this big gathering. Everybody needs to come and hear this apostle. Like all the churches in town need to come because this guy's an apostle. And, um, it was kind of like, Hey, I don't know this guy. Like, how do I know that I trust him? Just who, who decided that this guy's an apostle? Like it, it all seemed a bit, um, contrived. And then as you were saying, you know about that guy and he ended up creating a ton of division, um, which I don't think is the spirit of what, um, well, he was saying that he was saying things that were extra biblical, but it, people took it as basically he was adding to scripture. One of his things was that it wasn't enough to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You had to be baptized in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And so you had all these churches with taking all of their elders and everything and re-baptizing all of them in the name of Jesus of Nazareth and because this guy had some prophecy from the Lord and some kind of authority mantle upon him that said this is what God has now ordained which yeah. is you know it's extra biblical and, and that caused a lot of issues and yeah. divided divided churches and divided people and you know yeah that's what's happens you know that where did his authority come from and you know Paul said, "If you add any anything, you know, to the, you know, to Scripture, you know, yeah. anathema, you know. So, yeah. So, yeah. That's that's where people get all squirrely about it. I think, you know. Yeah. So, to me, that that thing is it's it's much better when it happens organically. Like when somebody, you know, people start looking to somebody mm -hmm. for leadership. They start leading well. I think that that can be, you know, that that gift of apostleship kind of reveals itself. But to mm -hmm. me, it's super." contrived. I don't think that's good. I, I've just seen it bad so many times. Some people take it as like this, like authority thing and they, they, and they have it, but you know, they put it before their name, you know, their oh, apostle so-and-so and they have it on their, their door, you know, yeah. prophet so-and-so or yeah. whoever, whoever it might be. Yeah. It gets weird. And, and I think that's what turns a lot of people off from this idea when you're talking about the gifts of the spirit and people like, ah, oh, all that stuff, it's just a waste of time. It just causes issues. I just rather stay away from it. But you know, there's, there's a purpose. God gave us these gifts for a purpose and they do have a purpose to serve the church. And it's part of that abundant life that God has for us. But yeah, there has been so much abuse and so much confusion, unfortunately, by the church itself that kind of causes people to be, you know, yeah, yeah. As you say, whenever anybody teaches on this subject, it's like their their pastor always says two things: that those of you who are gonna think, "Yeah, finally he's talking about this," and then then there's those of you who are gonna be like, "Oh, I hate this. This is so weird," and all this. You know, they, I've every time I've heard yeah. a teaching on this, those the two. There's always that kind yeah. of preamble to set to, to set people up for what's coming next. You know, so yeah. But but uh, yeah, I think it's important that we we. And I think Paul's doing a good job, good job, and he's going to do, you know, through chapter 13 and 14, kind of set things in order. And I yeah. think m many times I've just seen that a lot of churches have taken chapters 12, 13, and 14 and thrown them out. Like, they just don't exist. Yeah. 
and just kind of done their own thing and and it's and it's caused the rest of the church body to miss out in many ways in in operating mm. some of these gifts unfortunately and and that's not a good thing but what Paul says the Thessalonians that first Thessalonians chapter 5 I think it's 19 through 21 um, he says something really helpful which is look don't despise prophecy don't quench the spirit but test all things and hold on to that which is good and that's right you know so I want to say I want to be biblical in everything I do and everything I believe, right? And so um, that means we don't contrive things, um, but we do seek the greater gifts, and you know, mm -hmm. and we consider them to be beautiful, and we we look for the right operation of them, but we never try and make something happen in the flesh. Yeah, exactly, and and it's all part <laughs> of the body of Christ moving together, and everybody's been given a gift by the by God, uh, you know, for a specific purpose. And, uh, you know, maybe you're watching here today and you're not even sure what that gift is or how, how to even best serve your church. Or maybe that's just a prayer you need to have when you go to a church on Sunday morning. Just as you walk through the door, you're like, Lord, I, you know, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to serve today? And just have your eyes open, you know, and uh, to those things and let the Spirit of God. Sometimes it's just simple as that. It's just a change of mind. Like, I'm not coming here to receive I'm coming here to give, and in, in the, in and in the in that whole uh, thing of, of 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 giving, you are receiving, and uh, you know. So maybe that's just something you have to change in your mind as you come to wherever you're going to church on Sunday morning. You just as you walk in the door, well, how can I serve this morning and have your eyes open? You might be surprised at what God wants to do uh, through you and to serve your local congregation and be a part of the body of Christ. And so if uh, you like this, you know, hit that like button, give us a thumbs up, share it, whitefieldschurch.com. Get over there, you can download the sermon, and we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless. <laughs>